welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast with Samantha Selinski. This is episode two, and I just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for all of the support and congratulations over the last week or so. I had people reaching out who I haven't spoken to in a long time and saying that they were really proud of me and also that they loved the episode. As I had mentioned in the first episode, definitely a little bit of anxiety to put that out there and put myself out there, but I'm just going to keep going with it and see how it goes. So thanks for sticking around and let's get started with episode two. Let's start off with the wine, wine, and win of the week. My wine of the week this week is Mark West Pinot Noir. It's been a staple in my life for a while. It's not that expensive, tastes good, doesn't give you a hangover. And I just really enjoy it. I love bringing it to friend's house. It goes well with meals. And that is my wine of the week. Now for my wine and win of the week. Unfortunately, it's that the Eagles lost the Super Bowl for my wine of the week. It was a really sad way to end the game. But it was a great way to end the season. I felt like the week leading up to the Super Bowl was just so exciting. And it was really nice to feel the camaraderie and community come together, wearing all of our green, seeing everybody so excited, and there's always next year. As for my win of the week, it also has to do with the Super Bowl. I won a Super Bowl block, and that was really awesome. I never really bet on the Super Bowl, but one of my co-workers was having a fundraiser for her daughter's team, and I won the end of the third quarter. Also, Wednesday night, I went with one of my good friends, Alicia, to learn how to knit. This also could be a wine of the week because trying to figure out how to get the knitting started was very frustrating. It took me about an hour to do, but I did it and then continued to knit for like another hour. Didn't finish anything, but tried something new, put myself out there, and I was really excited for the opportunity to try and do it. I don't think I'll be knitting any sweaters anytime soon, but you never know. Today's episode topic is going to be about PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. If you've been following me on Instagram since the beginning, which I think around 2016 I started my account, and I started it specifically because of my PCOS. I was Run Sam Run back then. And uh, since then, obviously, have evolved into the running wine mom. But PCOS was something that I really didn't know a lot about, but was diagnosed in 2014 by my fertility doctor. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I had started my fitness page to try to let other people know that they are not alone and that there are other people struggling with PCOS as well, me being one of them. So today we are going to explore all the things related to polycystic ovary syndrome. PCOS is a hormonal disease that affects millions of women around the world and can lead to a variety of symptoms, including irregular periods, weight gain, acne, and infertility. Please, I would love if you could join us as we dive into the science, stories, and experiences of those living with PCOS, specifically myself. The goal of today is to provide a platform for education, support, and community building for those affected by this complex condition. So grab a glass of wine and settle in because we are about to dive into PCOS. I do want to put a disclaimer in here that none of this is officially medical advice. 
I am just sharing what my experience is and the research that I've done on it for the last 10-ish years. And I hope that you can learn something from this as well. As I mentioned, I originally started my Instagram in order to look for support and advice. I followed a lot of women who had PCOS and really felt connected with them because I didn't at the time know really anyone that had it. Uh, In summer of 2014, I was diagnosed with it from our fertility doctor. I ended up going to a PCOS nutritionist. I was on some medicine. Obviously, I had struggled with my weight a bit, and this kind of gave me some clarity. And then I knew once we wanted to start having kids that my fertility could come into play. Before I get into the fitness and motherhood slash my pregnancy journey, I had posted on my Instagram, The Running Wine Mom, for those to ask any questions that they wanted answered about it. So I compiled the top questions, and I'm going to give some answers to it. First question is, what is PCOS and what causes it? PCOS is a hormonal disorder that affects people with ovaries, causing them to produce high levels of androgens, which is your sex hormones. And specifically, the male hormone testosterone is higher usually in women who have PCOS. It also causes them to have an irregular menstrual cycle. The exact cause of it is still unknown, but it is thought to be related to a combination of genetic and environmental factors. Also, insulin resistance and inflammation are believed to play a role in the development of PCOS. The next question was, how is PCOS diagnosed? So my personal experience of having it diagnosed was at a fertility clinic. I will say that Being an advocate for yourself is very important because I did speak to my doctor specifically about PCOS. I remember messaging with my friend Lauren who somehow has the answers to every question that you may have. And I don't know if it's that she has random knowledge or that she just cares about getting her friends answers to their problems. And I think it's that one. She is always so supportive and willing to help. And she had said, hey, why don't you ask your doctor about PCOS? Your symptoms sound really similar to a lot of those things. I had never heard of it before. When I talked to my doctor about it, they looked at my medical history, my physical exam. They gave me some blood tests and imaging studies, and they came to the conclusion that I had the symptoms of it. And then that was my official diagnosis. To receive an official diagnosis of PCOS, a person has to have at least two of the following three criteria, irregular menstrual cycle or no menstrual cycle, which was one that I had. My cycles would range from 28 days, which is normal, all the way to 60 plus days. I think my longest break in my menstrual cycle was about 72 days. So I was just, it was always very frustrating because I never knew when it was going to come. The second criteria is high levels of androgens, aka testosterone, and that is the second one that I had. The third is multiple small cysts on the ovaries detected by ultrasound, which I did not have. The next question that I had are, what are the most common symptoms? First is irregular periods. Women with PCOS often experience irregular menstrual cycles, which means they have fewer periods than normal, miss periods entirely, or have periods that are heavier or lighter than usual, which I'm sure every woman who is listening to this may say, well, that kind of sounds like me, but you want to make sure that you are analyzing what's normal for you. So if your cycle is normally 32 days or your cycle is normally 40 days consistently, 
I guess I wouldn't say necessarily that you're a candidate for PCOS, but what my experience was that it was all over the place. And I really noticed that they were more normal with proper diet and exercise, which is what I'll talk about later about how I was able to kind of get the symptoms under control as I changed my diet and exercise. The second most common symptom is excess androgen hormones. Women with PCOS may have higher level of these hormones, aka your sex hormones, than usual, which can cause physical symptoms such as acne, which growing up, I actually had to be on Accutane in my teen years because I had sports-induced acne, which could be technically caused by the sweat that you're having when you are exercising. I had it along my, like under my hairline in front of my ears. I had it on my back, but it was very excessive and I never really put that together until I was diagnosed with my PCOS. Also, you can have excessive hair growth. Again, never really looked too much into it, but after getting the diagnosis, I realized, yeah, I definitely do. And finally, male pattern baldness which is something I absolutely struggled with. And I'm going to talk about that for a second. In my 20s, probably right before I got married, I realized that my hair was thinning excessively. And one of the symptoms because of excessive testosterone is male pattern baldness. So I went to my dermatologist and she actually had a hookup with a doctor in New York City who did not take insurance, was probably like thousands of dollars a visit. But luckily she had a great connection with him and she would kind of let him know my symptoms and then she would diagnose me with these different things. So I actually went on steroids that were injected into my head monthly in the areas where my hair was thinner. What the purpose of this is, is that they're injected into the scalp. They can help hair regrowth by reducing the inflammation and suppressing the immune system that is responsible for causing the hair loss. Specifically, these steroids are a synthetic version of cortisol, which is a hormone that the body naturally produces in response to stress. In some cases of hair loss, the body's immune system attacks hair follicles as if they were foreign invaders. That's kind of the way that it was described for me. And... It can lead to patchy hair loss of the scalp, so injecting the steroids into the scalp can help to suppress the immune system response and reduce the inflammation around the hair follicles, which can lead to the hair regrowth in those areas. The other procedure that I got done was platelet-rich plasma treatment, also known as PRP, and that is a medical procedure that involves injecting a concentrated solution of platelets from a person's own blood into their scalp in order to stimulate hair growth. So PRP is a component of the blood that contains growth factors and other proteins that play an important role in healing in the healing process. And what happens is that I had my blood taken and then my blood was put into a device that spins the blood and then separates the blood and the plasma, which then the plasma is injected into a small needle and then injected into the scalp. So the theory behind it is that the growth factors and other proteins in the PRP can stimulate the hair follicles, leading to increased hair growth and thickness. It may be used as a treatment for alopecia, for patchy hair loss, and other types of hair loss. And it definitely helped with some of my regrowth as well. I could see the little baby hairs after the combination of the PRP and the steroids procedures that I've gotten done. Another symptom of PCOS as the name suggests that women with it may have ovaries that contain multiple small cysts. 
Another symptom is weight gain or trouble losing weight, which is definitely one of the symptoms that I had as I was always working out, eating right, eating different combinations of low carb, high carb, low protein, high protein. And I could never really get the combination right until I went to a PCOS specific nutritionist and I was able to figure out what worked best for me and my body. Fatigue is the next symptom, which if you know me, I definitely don't have that, but other women may. Infertility is a major symptom, which most of my friends who have PCOS have struggled to conceive naturally and had needed the help of fertility doctors, which can definitely be stressful. But if you know that you have PCOS, it kind of gives you a little bit more of the feeling of relaxing because you know that the doctors can kind of figure out what you need to do in order to conceive a child. The next question we have is how is PCOS diagnosed? The diagnosis of it typically is based on a combination of symptoms, the physical exam, and lab tests. Here are some of the methods that may be used during a PCOS diagnosis process. First is your medical history. Your doctor is going to ask about your menstrual cycles, any symptoms you've been experiencing, your family history of conditions like PCOS or diabetes. Once I started to be more open about my PCOS, my family members all kind of were talking to me about, oh, I have that symptom or, oh, I struggled with this or I struggled with that. And it was definitely a light bulb to say, okay, well, maybe they didn't have the right resources and they also have PCOS. And I felt like that was kind of an aha moment of, wow, I'm so glad that I was diagnosed with this and, and advocated for myself. A physical exam would be the next test that would be done. During the physical exam, your doctor may check your physical signs of PCOS, such as excessive hair growth or acne. Then you're going to have your blood test, which can be used to measure your hormones, such as testosterone and your luteinizing hormone, which you may see as LH. Also, it will measure your glucose and your insulin levels. You'll get a pelvic ultrasound, which is going to be used to examine your ovaries for any cysts. And then finally, your doctor might just take some additional blood work to make sure that what you have isn't related to a specific thyroid or adrenal gland disorder. The next question that I had was, can PCOS be reversed? Right now, there is no known cure for PCOS, but the symptoms can definitely be managed through a combination of lifestyle changes, medication, and other treatments. Personally, for me, once I got the diagnosis and I started going to doctors and figuring out the combination of what worked for me, I was definitely able to minimize symptoms and try to get myself as regular as I possibly could. For the next question, what are some of the strategies that may be used to manage PCOS? First is lifestyle change, medication is second, surgery is third. You may need surgery in order to remove your ovarian cysts or to reduce excessive hair growth. Personally, I got laser hair removal surgery in 2015 and my hair all grew back. And my other girlfriend who the same thing happened to her, she got laser hair removal and she has PCOS and her hair all grew back as well. So I don't know if I necessarily recommend spending the money for laser hair surgery if you have PCOS because it didn't work for myself or my friends, but you never know. Next, psychological support, because it can have a significant impact on your mental health, so working with a therapist or counselor can definitely be helpful for some women. 
Next question. What are the long-term health risks associated with PCOS? There are several of them. The first one is type 2 diabetes because this is an insulin-resistant diagnosis. Women with PCOS definitely do have an increased risk of, of developing type 2 diabetes. If your cells don't respond properly to the insulin, this is how it can be formed. If your cells don't respond properly to the insulin, then you may be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Another risk is endometrial cancer, which is a cancer that affects the lining of the uterus due to irregular menstrual cycles or high levels of estrogen. Lastly would be depression and anxiety. Because of the impact that PCOS has on their quality of life, that could be a long-term health risk that is associated with PCOS. So now that you know a little bit about PCOS, the symptoms, the ways to heal it, let's get into the fitness aspect of it and learn a little bit more about how specifically diet and exercise can help to manage it and what are some of the strategies that I utilized with my diagnosis. Right after my diagnosis, I was recommended to go to a PCOS-specific nutritionist. I had gone to nutritionists multiple times through my life in my 20s just to kind of figure out what strategies would work for me and what didn't. And it was always eat a 1,200-calorie diet, excessively work out. None of those worked for me in the long run. And after going to this nutritionist, I really figured out why that was specifically the case. When we met, one of the first things that she told me was that I needed to switch to more of a Mediterranean diet. Research has shown that following a Mediterranean-style diet may help to improve insulin resistance, which is obviously a common feature of PCOS. Insulin resistance occurs when the body's cells become less responsive to the hormone insulin, which can lead to high blood sugar levels and other metabolic problems. Utilizing the Mediterranean diet, it's rich in foods that are low in glycemic index, meaning they don't cause a sharp increase in your blood sugar levels, which can help improve your insulin sensitivity. In addition to its potential benefits for insulin resistance, the Mediterranean diet is also rich in anti-inflammatory foods, including fruits, vegetables, and healthy fats such as olive oil. Chronic inflammation is thought to play a role in the development of PCOS, so reducing the inflammation through diet may be beneficial for women with the condition. What is a Mediterranean diet? It is the way of eating that's inspired by the traditional cuisine of the countries that border the Mediterranean Sea, such as Greece, Italy, and Spain. It's known for its health benefits and often associated with reduced risk of heart disease, diabetes, and certain types of cancer. Getting into the specifics of a Mediterranean diet, it has lots of plant-based food, fresh fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, and whole grains. That's what makes the bulk of the diet up. Olive oil is going to be the primary fat source. It's rich in monosaturated fats and antioxidants, and it's used in place of butter or other fats in most Mediterranean dishes. The main source of protein in a diet is going to be fish and seafood. You want to consume it at least twice a week. You're going to minimally consume poultry, eggs, and dairy. Also have red meat and sweets occasionally. They are not focused in the Mediterranean diet. And you also want to focus on fresh, whole foods, relatively low intake of processed and fast foods. In addition to the Mediterranean diet, she also recommended that I start taking the supplement Ovisitol. It combines two forms of inositol, 
which are myo-inositol and D-cryo-inositol. Inositol is a type of carbohydrate that has a similar structure to glucose, and it's found naturally in fruits, beans, grains, and nuts. Myo-inositol and D-cryo-inositol are both involved in insulin signaling and have been shown to have potential benefits for women in PCOS. Some of the benefits of the supplement can help to restore balance in the inositol levels in women with PCOS, and it can also help to improve insulin sensitivity, regulate menstrual cycles, and reduce symptoms such as acne and excessive hair growth. Additionally, it's also found that it can help the fertility in women as well. So I started that pretty much right away, and I found that my menstrual cycle went back to normal pretty quickly more regular at least, and I was able to have some weight management with it as well. I was really happy with the supplement, and I'm not on it anymore, but I was on it for probably about a year. The other popular prescribed medicine for PCOS, which I was also on for a very short amount of time, was metformin. It's typically used to treat type 2 diabetes, but it can also kind of go hand in hand with helping the symptoms of PCOS. For me personally, it didn't really make me feel that great and it really kind of affected my stomach, which is one of the side effects of it. So I only went on it for one or two months just to see if the symptoms subsided. But again, some of my friends have gone on it and had great success with it. I just personally didn't. I did have someone ask if there was any natural remedies that have been studied for PCOS, and I kind of did a little bit of research for it. One of them is to increase your omega-3 fatty acids, which can be found right in seafood, which is kind of correlated to the Mediterranean diet. Also, women with PCOS usually have a vitamin D deficiency, which is also something that I had. I take vitamin D pills every day. And that is something more natural that you can try and test out to see if it can help regulate your symptoms. Now that we talked a little bit about some of the nutritional ways to get your PCOS in line, I wanted to talk about some of the physical ways that I helped get it in line. For me, doing things like straight running or straight lifting wasn't really getting me the results that I wanted. I'm never going to be the person that goes to yoga and Pilates and comes out on top with this toned, tiny body. Personally, I enjoy doing more intense fitness, and I wanted to try to figure out a balance of how to keep incorporating that into my life, but also manage my PCOS symptoms. And I really found that high-intensity interval training or HIIT training is something that worked great for me. Right before I got married, and ironically before I was diagnosed with PCOS, I was doing a program called Unite Fitness, which was at the gym that I belonged to when I lived in Jersey. Now that location's changed. I think it's only located in Philly now. But it was 30 minutes of high intensity interval training on the treadmill or the bike. And then you would be 30 minutes of strength training and then 15 minutes of yoga afterwards. And I had some awesome results from that. Probably the best results that I really have ever had. I've also done different programs like G-Fit and Peloton, and I found that no matter what I do, ensuring that I do those HIIT trainings is really important. I just started back doing alpha training 
at my gym, which is a five or six station workout with high intensity interval training. And I found awesome results. I can see I've only been taking the class for like six weeks and I have definitely seen more definition and toning and weight loss from it all. So again, you have to kind of figure it out for yourself. But for me, straight aerobic exercise or straight strength training never worked. It was the high intensity interval training that really gave me a change in my overall body shape. So now that we got the fitness aspect done, let's go into my journey of having a baby while being diagnosed with PCOS. Just for a little background, I started on birth control at 16 and I was sporadically off it through the years, but pretty much I was on it from 16 till about 27. I had irregular menstrual cycle prior to going on it and after we got married, I wanted to stop taking it in case there was any issues along the way. And the summer after we got married, that's when I started going to the fertility doctor and went off birth control. Again, even though we really weren't thinking about kids for the near future, but I wanted to be prepared in case they needed to figure anything else out with my reproductive system. So if you need a refresher on how your menstrual cycle works with ovulation, something I would tell my eighth graders is that day one of your menstrual cycle, if you count 14 days prior to that, that's when you ovulate. So for me, when my cycles were so random and unpredictable, it was really impossible for me to figure out when exactly I was ovulating. My cycle was 34 days, then I would have ovulated on day 20. If my cycle was 74 days, then I was ovulating on day 60. But there was really no way for me to figure out how long my cycles were going to be. So that's one of the reasons that I chose to go to a fertility specialist. As I mentioned multiple times, right after we got married in 2014, I went to the doctor. But then in 2019, after my annual appointment, I decided to go back to them to start the process of figuring out what the steps were going to be for us to have a baby. For us, we had an initial consultation in medical history. Typically, the first step in any fertility treatment is to schedule an initial consultation with a fertility specialist. Ours was Dr. Nichols at Axia Women's Health. During that appointment, she went into detail about my medical history of both me and my husband. I had a physical exam performed, and we ordered some tests. We had a lot of information to take in for our initial consultation, but something that really stuck with me was how low your chances are of actually getting pregnant in general without any fertility issues. I remember just being shocked because as a health teacher, it seemed pretty simple. Ovulate, get the egg fertilized, then you're pregnant. But the numbers she shared with us were that there's really less than a 20% chance for a healthy young person to get pregnant. And that was definitely scary and a little eye-opening and also really made me realize what a miracle pregnancy truly is because the numbers are very low. Next step was some fertility testing. Dr. Nichols ordered several tests to determine the cause of our infertility, including blood tests to check our hormone levels, semen analysis for Mark, and an ultrasound to assess my reproductive organs. I remember being really nervous that Mark wouldn't want to be a part of the fertility testing on his end. Obviously, that wasn't the case at all. And when I had told him that I didn't think that he was going to want to do it, he said, why wouldn't I want to do it? 
you are getting poked and prodded and all these tests done. And I have to do one simple thing of getting my analysis. And it's ridiculous to think that I wouldn't want to be a part of this process as it's not just me getting pregnant, it's him as well. And I thought that was just a really great perspective in our relationship because it did remind me that it wasn't just me because I think it's very normal for women to take on the brunt of everything and you're the one making the appointments and you're the one trying to figure out what's wrong and you're the one saying we're thinking that it's you and the men have a purpose in it besides just being a donor for you and the support that my husband gave was just something that was really important to me and I'm very grateful for it. The first thing I had was an inner uterine ultrasound. Then I also went for a tubal flushing. A tubal flushing is a diagnostic procedure that's commonly used to evaluate the openness of the fallopian tubes. During this procedure, a dye was injected into my cervix and then traveled through my uterus into my fallopian tubes. The flow of the dye is monitored using an ultrasound, and that allowed my doctor to see any potential blockages or abnormalities in my fallopian tube. The tubal flushing can be useful in identifying issues that may have been preventing me from getting pregnant, like a blocked or damaged fallopian tube. And in some cases, the flushing procedure itself can help clear the minor blockage in the tubes, which may improve the chances of pregnancy. For me, I didn't have any blockages, luckily, which was great. They did the procedure. It was painless, really quick pretty simple. And then we moved on to my next procedure, which was a hysteroscopy. What a hysteroscopy is, it's minimally invasive procedure that's used to evaluate and treat issues in the uterus. Basically what happens, a thin lighted tube with a camera is inserted through the cervix into the uterus and it allows the physician to view the inside of the uterus on a screen. My hysteroscopy was performed at an outpatient procedure. Mark just dropped me off, waited in the car while it was done. Recovery time for me and typically was minimal. It was definitely a little bit painful. I did take the day off, but I was able to return to normal activities within a day or two. The purpose of a hysteroscopy is to diagnose and treat a variety of conditions One being abnormal uterine bleeding, you can figure out what the cause of it is. Another being uterine fibroids, polyps, adhesions, or scar tissue that can be causing infertility, which was something in my case. I did have some scar tissue going up from my uterus into my fallopian tubes, and they were able to get that out right away. I remember being in the room, and the nurses and and physician, they were all so nice, and they were asking me what I did. I said, oh, I'm a health and phys ed teacher, and they were so excited that I kind of knew what was happening. Not that People don't know what's happening, but obviously being a little bit more up to date on it and teaching about the reproductive system. So as they were going through it, they were so excited to show me exactly what was on the screen. They even printed me out some pictures, which they said, oh, you can show your students. I never did, but I thought it was just an overall fine experience, not something necessarily that I want to ever go through again or thankfully ever had to go through again, but it did help clear up some of the scarring in my uterus and fallopian tubes, and that was really a positive of it. After I got all of the baseline testing done, Dr. Nichols came up with a treatment plan for us. It was tailored to our specific needs, and this meant that they had to monitor my ovulation and do blood work 
for each cycle. Once the doctors knew I was ovulating, I was prescribed letrozole. Uh, that's used to simulate ovulation by temporarily suppressing the estrogen production and promoting the production of FSH, which is a follicle-stimulating hormone by the pituitary gland. And I was also prescribed Ovidrel, which contains hormones like HCG, Similar to luteinizing hormone, it's produced by the pituitary gland and typically used to trigger ovulation. I administered a shot in my skin. I think I did it in my stomach about 24 hours before I was ovulating. And it works by kind of mimicking the natural LH surge that occurs during a menstrual cycle and triggers the final maturation of the eggs and their release from the ovaries. I specifically remember going to the doctor, them telling me, okay, you're going to be ovulating in a few days. Here's your prescription. Go pick it up. And then it was a Sunday that I had to inject everything and take everything. And then we had kind of like a four-day window where we needed to try to get pregnant. And then the next steps were just to wait. I had an appointment scheduled for March 10th to see if it had taken or not, and I remember it was such a long two weeks trying to figure out if I was or if I wasn't going to be. It was just a lot of anxiety and excitement. However, Sunday, March 8th, I had a fundraising gala for Bringing Hope Home, which is a local charity that a lot of my CIL friends support and go to their events. And this was one of them that one of my girlfriends had asked me to go to. I remember waking up and thinking, I know it's going to be kind of a Sunday fun day drinking day, should I take a test before I go? So I took a test and there was definitely a line. It was like 9 a.m. and I had to meet my friend at 10.30, I think it was. So I literally run in and I tell Mark, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. He's like, what? And I'm like, okay, I got to get ready. I got to go. Bye. Told him I was pregnant, left. My poor friend Kim was probably thinking, what is wrong with her? because I was pretty shocked and I obviously didn't want to tell anybody. We get to the gala and my friend Michelle looks at me and she's like, oh my gosh, you look beautiful. Your skin is glowing. You have that glow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she knows I'm pregnant. She knows I'm pregnant, but didn't say anything. Paid the server like 20 bucks to just bring me club soda with splash of orange juice to make me a mock mimosa anyway the day was a great day uh, but I was think I was sweating the whole time because I didn't want anyone to know that I was pregnant came home to poor Mark who had been alone for the last probably four or five hours and we both were like oh my gosh this is this is it we're gonna be parents we were so excited but also so scared that it was happening then that Tuesday, I went in for my blood work, and Tuesday afternoon, I remember it was the last period of the school day, and I got the phone call. I ran into my office and answered it, and they said, it's positive, you are pregnant, which was so exciting for the definite, yes, I was pregnant. Then I had to go in, and they opted to keep me on progesterone suppositories to ensure that the pregnancy stuck, which was... Uh, a little bit of a relief because I kind of feel like any extra help is a great thing to have during your pregnancy. And after that, I thought, okay, this is going to be smooth sailing. But little did I know in about a week 
the whole world would be shutting down, which is for another episode. But overall, I went to the the fertility doctor for the first 12 weeks, and then I graduated to my regular OB and stuck with them until I had Willow at 39 weeks. So that's my story. I hope you learned a lot about PCOS. I hope that PCOS becomes more of a talked about conversation because there are so many women in my life that have PCOS, but also don't really have a ton of resources that they can use or even know about. Some PCOS resources and support networks that I have found are PCOS Challenge, PCOS Foundation, and Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association. My biggest tips would be to advocate for yourself. If you feel like this is something that you have, consider seeing a PCOS-specific dietitian or nutritionist. That was really helpful for me. And work also with a mental health professional as well because it can have a significant impact on your mental health. Working with a mental health professional can help you manage your stress and anxiety surrounding it and make you realize that you are not alone. I hope you found this episode informative and helpful in understanding this common and complex condition. Remember, as I said, if you suspect you have it or are struggling with any of its symptoms, it's important to consult with your healthcare professional to determine the best course of treatment for your specific situation as there's so many different ways to treat it because of all of the different symptoms that you could have and the combinations of symptoms that there are. While PCOS can be a challenging condition to live with, there are many effective treatments that we talked about and that are available for you to help manage your symptoms and really improve the quality of your life. I've found that it's been 10 years pretty much since my diagnosis and it took a long time for me to get into the gist of it and then add in three years of being pregnant and postpartum and it hasn't been the easiest journey, but I love talking about it and trying to help others on their journey as well. If you'd like more information, feel free to follow me on Instagram at the running wine mom underscore. And I'd love if you could like subscribe and share my podcast with others, get the word out about it. If you enjoyed the content in this, I'm hoping next week or the week after I will have the ability to bring a guest or two on As I mentioned, that is one of the main reasons that I wanted to start this podcast to get other people in my lives' stories out because there are just so many awesome ones that I have lined up. So if you have any tips about that, also feel free to reach out to me as well. I hope you guys have a great week and I'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode.